This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Amen. Uh, what we're going to get into today is this, and I, I'm, I'm pumped up about this. We've started a little Sunday morning series about King David, and it's, we're calling it the Son of Jesse. And, uh, you know, everybody knows a little bit about David. If I say David, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? King, all right. There's no wrong answer. I'm just, uh, what, just tell me, what's the first? Okay, Pastor Dave. <laughs> Woo, yeah. No, no, we're talking about... Dave McNeil. Okay, there's a lot of. Okay, let's just let's just hammer this down. There's a lot of good Daves in this world. I will admit that it is one of the better names that God put out there. You know, I'm no bias there, but it just is. So, uh, but usually the first thing that comes to mind if I say David, you, people think Goliath. And yeah, there's uh, that is probably the biggest thing that David is known for. But we're studying so many different elements about David. And why why is David so important? Well, he's definitely one of the main characters of the Bible. But Acts 13, 22 says, I have found that David, the son of Jesse, he's a man after my own heart. And there's nobody else in Scripture that God calls a man after his own heart. And I'm looking at this like, man, there's a lot of really good dudes in the Bible. We got Moses. We got Abraham. Noah was incredible. I love Paul. I love Peter. There's all these great names. But why is there this one guy that God says, this is David, the son of Jesse. He is a man after my own heart because David was not a perfect man. He was a man that made some mistakes, some big mistakes. Yet in the end, God still says this guy right here, this is a man after my own heart. I, I, more people need to be like this guy. Why is that? Well, we're going to we're doing a little series here to break this down. And the, and the first week we looked at the, the, the biggest reason. Well, not the biggest, but one of the, the first reasons that God called David this is because he was a committed man. David was committed. If he made an agreement with God and with other people and he put his word out there, David would rather die. You know, I'd say take a bullet. David would rather take a spear than go back on his word. And and I think that goes a long way with God. When we say, God, you can count on me to do this and we follow through with it. That goes a long way with God. What doesn't go a long way is when we commit and then we and then we look back because Jesus said in the book of Luke, anyone that puts their hand to the gospel plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And I mean, that's kind of a punch between the eyes, but it's, that's just, let's get real here. God thinks a whole lot about us keeping our word to him. He's very into this commitment issue. But this week, we're going to look at another element, another aspect of why David was a man after God's own heart. And before we do that, if you need an outline for the sermon, raise your hand. Ushers are laughing at me. They got most of you already. I saw that. But if you need an outline, raise your hand. See, I left one for you, buddy. You're all right. Uh, but if you need an outline, raise your hand. The, this week, we're going to look at the second aspect of why I believe God called David a man after his own heart. And it's because David was courageous. David was courageous. Now, to be courageous doesn't mean that you're never afraid of anything or or that, you know, that that you just, you know, you're perfect and, and nothing ever, you know, intimidates you. It doesn't mean that. But David was definitely courageous. And so I looked up, I believe, I believe, a fair definition of what courage is. This is out of the King James Version 1611 Dictionary. Who remembers when that came out? I thought so. OK, it's a good 405 years ago. Six years ago, but it says this. This is the definition of brave of, of courage. It's bravery, that quality of mind which enables men to encounter danger and difficulties with firmness. I love that. It, it's that quality that enables men to to take on danger and difficulties with firmness. Think about that. David, he faced a lot of difficulties and dangers in his life. But he met each of them with firmness. And I'm sure there are times you read the Psalms. There were times that David, yes, was intimidated. There were times that he was frightened. There were times that it was not an easy life to live. When God's called you to greatness, 
that usually means that it's not going to be an extremely easy path of daisies and roses and rainbows and ponies. It probably means there's going to be some roadblocks in the way that you're going to have to be courageous to tackle. But I would rather live a life like that than a life that has no meaning, than a life that didn't touch anybody at all, than a life that just in the end, I didn't affect anybody for the kingdom of God, a life where I didn't lead anybody to Jesus. I would rather live the life of David where I I do face giants, where I do face obstacles, where I do have to plow through some things. I'd rather live that life than the life of somebody that just doesn't do anything at all and takes easy street their whole life. I, I, I'm not called to easy street, guys, and neither are you. I'm called to whatever God says is the right way to go. All I know is it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean to your own understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And so David was a man that God directed his paths and it took a lot of courage to live the life of David. And I know a lot of people are like, man, I'd like a David type of testimony. You don't get a David testimony until you face Goliath. You know what I mean? You don't you don't you don't get a David or an Abraham or a Moses testimony if you don't do something with yourself, if you don't face the giants and the problems that face you. So don't expect that type of a great testimony unless you're willing to stay in the fight and fight the battle. David was willing. David was committed. David was courageous. And God said, I wish more people were like David. He is a man after my own heart. And I hope to God that that's what I hear in the end. It was well done, good and faithful servant. You're a man after my own heart. Come on up. You finish your course the right way. That's what I want to hear God say to me in the end. And so we're going to get into this message, but I want to open this up in prayer and we're going to see how David was so courageous. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus name, I thank you, Lord, that we have a a great church to come in and hear your word, Lord. And, And as we pray sometimes and we say, yes, we're here with no fear of being arrested. We're here with no intimidation of of being persecuted just for coming and, and serving our God. We thank you for that. We're so fortunate. But God, I, I, I pray today that as we open up your word, that it's not going to fly over our heads. Lord, if we're falling asleep, slap us around, wake us up, do whatever you've got to do so we can hear the word of almighty God on this day right now. So you can change our lives and you can say what you want to say and you can have your way in each individual person on this day. We thank you for it. We give you praise, Lord. In Jesus name, everybody said, amen. So why was David so courageous? Well, number one, because he had a cause. David had a cause that he was fighting for. And so we're going to kind of start off the biggest and most famous reason that David is known today. And we're going to talk a little bit about this one time he fought this giant named Goliath. Anybody heard this story? All right, you've heard this. So start flipping over to to first Samuel chapter 17, first Samuel 17. And we'll catch you up on the story here a little bit. So you probably know this, but let's catch you up. So the Israelites were at war with these people called the Philistines. Right. And the Philistines, they were not friendly. They were not good. They were bad. They were invaders and they had come on to Israelite soil and tried to conquer them. And one of the things they did was they captured and and and, and took his POWs, all of the blacksmiths in the land of Israel. And you're like, well, what big deal? I mean, I don't someone can take my blacksmith. I don't care. Well, you don't have one, so you don't get it. But a blacksmith is a great big deal when they're the only guys that know how to make your weapons. They're making your swords and your spears and your shields. They captured all the blacksmiths. And so here we are, Israel. They're running out of supplies. They're running out of ammo. They're running out of everything. And the Philistines are just gaining more and more ground. This is a pretty bad spot to be in, really. And so we come to this place where they are at a 40 day standoff. They have been facing each other. Philistines on one hill, the Israelites on another hill, the Valley of Elah right in the middle. They're facing each other for 40 days. Nobody's gained any ground. But the one thing that happens every day is this giant named Goliath, nine feet, about six inches tall, comes out every single day, just hurling insults at these guys. I'm going to cut your heads off. 
I'm going to come out under just all these threats. You guys are this, this and this. Your God can't save you. Where's your God? I'm just trash talking. And, and every day it's getting worse. And you've got grown men in the army, men that have been in battles and wars every day, shaking in their boots, terrified. Where's what's what's going to happen? Where's God? What's going on? Why? And they, they won't do anything about it. And so this is the picture of where we're at when David is getting ready to start fighting, you know, to to step up to the plate here. So one day, David, as we learned last week, he's not living a very exciting life. He watches sheep by day and plays Xbox by night. He's a teenager. He does. I mean, he probably eats hot talkies or something like all these Barstow kids do, you know, weird stuff. He did not I mean not not a very uh, not a very exciting life, not much going on. So his dad, Jesse, says, David, take some supplies out to your brothers. Uh, they're you know, they're out there at the, at the battle right now. So he, he loads up some cheese, which, hey, cheese. Yeah. Pretty good for war, I guess. So some cheese and some other bread and stuff. And and David, he rides out there and he gets to the battle just as Goliath is walking out to do his his thing that he does every day. Goliath starts yelling and David says, hey, what's up with this guy? No one's going to do anything. He's making fun of God right now. This doesn't bother you guys. He, it doesn't bother you that he's making fun of God right now. And these guys are shaking in their boots. What are we? Yeah, it bothers us, but we can't do anything. He's over nine feet tall. Have you seen the man? He's huge. And so they're terrified. They're not doing anything. And so David starts asking around. You read this first Samuel 17. Read this. David starts asking around. OK, all right. So what happens if I fight him? What happens to the man that defeats this guy? And so the soldiers start telling him, well, King Saul said he'd give one of his daughters to 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 this man as a wife. And so David's like, OK, I could handle that. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! But then then he says, and this man that beats Goliath, his family will be exempt from paying taxes for the rest of their lives, except plastic grocery bags at the store. But other than that, they're other than that, they are tax exempt. For the rest of their days. And so David's like, okay, I get a good looking girl and I get a whole bunch of money. I'll do it. He signs up. So here's where we're at. First Samuel 17. David, uh, he starts talking to his brothers. Now, uh, David has a whole bunch of brothers. But look at First Samuel 17, verses 28 through 29. David goes to his oldest brother, Eliab. First Samuel 17, verse 28. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. He gets ticked off. He says, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Like, great. Insult to injury. He's already uh, he got his existence is watching sheep and goats. And now who'd you leave your few sheep with? Who'd you, who'd you leave the couple of sheep with, David? I mean, it's not like a big brother to just punk you when you're trying to do something brave. Your big just pounding you down like that. And so here he is. Who'd you who'd you leave your couple of sheep with, little guy? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. You just came down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? And that phrase right there sticks out to me. This teenage boy saw something that these grown men could not see. They all served the same God. They all, you know, had I mean, they had more training. But let's just say they're all in an even playing field. But this one guy says, listen, I'm ticked off. Is there not a cause? You're going to get mad at me for one to actually step up and do something. Is there not a cause? And we got to ask ourselves that in our lives. Sometimes you may be getting tired in the fight. You may be getting tired in the battle that you're facing. But you've got to remember, listen, there's a there's a cause here. I'm fighting for something. I'm there's going to I'm going to win a victory. And when this is all said and done, there is a cause that I am fighting for. And for us, our biggest cause is the is the cause of Jesus Christ. That's what that's the reason that I don't know about you. I wake up every day, of course, for my family, but I wake up every day of this life for Jesus Christ because there's people going to hell. 
There's people all around us suffering and dying. There's a cause, whether you realize it or not. So do we have to go to church today? Yeah, there's a cause, man. I need to get my buns in there because I need to get pumped up. I need to get built up. I need the brothers and the sisters. I need the word of God in my life. There is a cause here, man. We're fighting for something. And, and you get, I'm going to say this. If you don't have a cause that you're fighting for, you're just floating through life with no purpose. If you, I mean, let's get real. If you have no cause, you are floating through life with no purpose. What is your cause? What is your cause? What are you fighting for? Are you just floating by? Well, I'm going to be a survivor. I don't want to be a survivor. Do you understand that? I don't want to be a survivor. I want to be a more than a conqueror like Romans chapter eight promise. I don't want to be one of those guys. Well, man, you survived. <laughs> Here you are. You, you, hey, you survived. I can't say much else about you, but you still exist. I want to have more to me than just existing. I want to do what God has called me to do. There is a cause that I am fighting for, and that's to populate heaven and plunder the kingdom of darkness. I want to steal all I can from the devil and put it in to the kingdom of God. There is a cause and even even more causes that we're fighting for in our lives. And you got to know this, that Jesus had a cause. You think Jesus just spent 33 years down here just floating by? Well, I guess I got to do this. Yeah, I mean, hey, no, Jesus had a cause. You were his cause. I am his cause. We are his cause. He thought. Think about that. Jesus thought that we were worth the fight. Jesus, Jesus thought that, that we were worth the fight. And so David's going up against Goliath. He's like, this is worth the fight. Yeah, to stop someone from tearing apart my country, to stop somebody from, from mocking my God on our soil. There's a cause. This is worth the fight. Whatever happened, this is worth the fight. I'm going to step out there and do that. This guy came into our soil on our turf and is mocking our God. And nobody's doing anything about it. I'm going to stand up right now. If nobody else does, I'll fight this guy all by myself. I'll fight that whole army all by myself. And I, I wish to God we had more people with that type of a, a, a courage, that type of a backbone. That, that They don't have to get a whole thousand people behind them before they'll do something for God. They don't have to have a million dollars in the bank before they'll step out and step into a ministry. They don't have to have the support and the encouragement of everybody else in the world to, before they'll do something for God. I wish we had people that would just serve God, even if it was just them and themselves. Just like Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15, I've got that Bible verse verse posted right outside of our front door. And, and you know, the, I, I love this, but Joshua said to the people of Israel, because some of them were backsliding, he said, all right, guys, listen here. You guys, you, you do what you want to do. do it, if you want to serve the gods of the Amalekites, go do it. If you want to serve the gods of these other people, fine. But I'll tell you this right now. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, even if nobody else does it. And I wish to God there are people of that courage that said, if I am the only family in Barstow that still thinks it's all right to serve Jesus and still read the Bible, I would do it if nobody else does. David took that step. He had zero support. His brothers thought he was a fool. The king thought he was a fool. The rest of the army and everybody else thought he was a fool. But he said, there is a cause. I would give my life for this right now. I would die for this. Nobody is going to come in to our home and make fun of our God. I'm not I'm not going to you know, I'm not going to go into your house, people, and, and, and make fun of your beliefs. I wouldn't do that. But I can guarantee you this. You are sure as heck not going to come into my house and make fun of my beliefs and make fun of what me and my family. That is not going to happen. And you know how laid back I am. But hey, get to stepping. You, you know, you, don't let the doorknob hit you where the good Lord splits you. That's what we say. But amen. So listen, David was saying, I'm telling you right now, there is a cause right here and and I will lay down my life for my God and for my country and for my family. And so David, this boy, he rolls up and he gets furious. He is ticked off that this is going on. And we've got to get some Christians. We've got to get some people that are willing to get ticked off about some stuff. Now, I'm saying to get angry in the good way, because you got to realize this is a whole teaching on itself. It is not a sin to get angry. 
It's a sin to let anger control you. Ephesians 4 tells us don't be controlled by your anger. Yet we have seen where Jesus got angry about things. He was righteously angry, righteously indignant. And when you are angry for a righteous cause and you do something in a holy way about it, that pleases God. He's fine with that. I didn't see God get mad at Jesus. Why'd you drive those people out of the temple, Jesus? They were just trying to make some money. You know, he, he didn't say that. I mean, God was pleased in everything that Jesus did. We need some Christians. We need some people that have a little bit of guts, have a little bit of backbone that they're willing to say, yeah, that's not right. That's not right. That, that makes me angry. That makes me upset that they would come and that they would do that. They're not going to do that anymore. I'm going to step up and do something about this. David did this when nobody else would. Why? Because David had a cause. So you need to ask yourself, what is your cause? What is your cause? Of course, it should. Any Christian should say it's, it's the kingdom of God. My cause is winning more souls for Jesus. That should be your number one cause. But look at your life. Is there anything else that you're striving for, fighting for, willing to lay down your life for? Is there anything? Think about that. And so David, number one, he was willing to be so courageous because he had a cause. And the second thing that I want to say about David, why was he so courageous? Number two. Because he remembered the things that God had already brought him through. David was able to be courageous because he remembered the things that God had already brought him through. And this is a key component to studying the life of David. And we'll look at some Psalms in a minute. But if you study first, second Samuel, the Psalms that he wrote, you even get into first and second, well, first Kings, you, you, you can, you can study the life of David. And there's one thing that David continuously did when he was in a bad spot. He always started talking about what God had done for him in the past. He said, well, okay, my, though my enemies surround me, though I'm surrounded on every side, he would say things like this in the Psalms. I remember the time. That this happened. I remember the time that God lifted me out. I remember the time that God delivered me from the hands of my enemies. I remember the time when I laid down to sleep right in the middle of the enemy's camp and God woke me up and said, he said stuff like this all the time. David always, more than anybody I can see in scripture, David always reminded himself and brought up the things that God had done for him in the past. There's going to be a key to this. And so David did this, but we're going to look here at verses 32 through 37, because when David finally got past his brothers, he, you know, he's like, well, I'm going to ignore them. They're obviously going to be no help. Thanks a lot, Eliab. You know, he, man. So he, he gets past Eliab and all the other brothers with the weird names. He had the only good name out of the whole family. Other than, you know, Jesse is a pretty good name, but he, the rest of them are just weird. And so he gets through all these guys and, and he, he gets his, makes his way to King Saul. First Samuel 17. Look at verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. <laughs> Don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm still I'm even more terrified now because after he after he steps on you and crushes you into a fine powder, you know, what's he going to do to the rest of us? He's probably going to pour you in his water and stir it up and drink it, man. You are a twerp. You're nothing. And I mean, David has said he was not a big kid. And here he is. He's like, no, don't worry about it, king. I got this. I'll go fight him. Look what happens here. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. He's been murdering people since he was your age. Yeah, I'm afraid you are ridiculous, man. And so David persisted, though. David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. The animal turns on me. I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. Now, we talked about this story a few weeks ago, but seriously, that's some stinking guts right there. If you will fight a bear with a stick, something is either wrong with you or something is extremely right. I'm not sure, but somewhere in there is where you lie. I mean, this guy, he would fight lions and bears with sticks. And so David and he said, if it turns on me, I just grab it by the jaw and start clubbing it to death. Jeez, that is insanity. Man, you couldn't pay me enough to beat up a bear with a stick for a stinking goat. 
I don't like goats. I told I got attacked by a goat when I was a kid. They're weird. They're annoying. Ah, oh, man, I've had to milk goats. You know, can you believe that? They're weird. And so David, though, he apparently he liked goats and he would lay down his life for a stinking, annoying goat. Why? Because David was committed and David was courageous like we're studying today. And so he's like, man, King, I can, I can do this. I got this. Give me a chance. I can handle this. I've beat lions and bears with sticks. I can handle this, dude. And so he keeps persisting. And and so verse 36, I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine, too, for he's defied the armies of the living God. And so he gets upset all over again. And why is David says something very key in this verse right here? He says, this Philistine is a pagan. And your King James will say, he's an uncircumcised Philistine. What does that mean? David's saying, I'm going to do this because this guy is uncircumcised. He is a pagan. He does not have a covenant with God. David and the rest of these guys, they had a covenant with God. We have a covenant with God, better covenant than they had even. But David said, this guy has defied the armies of the living God and he's a stinking pagan. He doesn't even have he doesn't even have a covenant. He has nothing at all to have God on his side. I have I am I I want to do this. Nobody's forcing me into this fight and nobody you can't pay me and it's not about the money. It's not about the good-looking girl. This is about this is about me going out there and facing somebody that doesn't have a covenant, somebody that's defying the armies of the living God. David was extremely courageous. He was very very confident because he knew God is on his side. And so for us in our fight, you may be facing a giant does the giant you're facing have a covenant with God? Is that sickness? Does that they're under a contract with God, a covenant with God? No. Is this thing that's stealing your joy and your peace? Does that is that under a covenant with God? For get, get real here. Does your problem have a covenant with God? Do you have a covenant with God? Yeah. Is your covenant the same as David's? No. Your covenant is better than David's. Hebrews 8, 6. You have a better covenant with better promises. If David could face Goliath under the old covenant, what in the world can I do under a better covenant with better promises? Get excited, people. This is good news, man. This is good news right here. David He got this. He understood covenant. And he said, this guy has no covenant. Let's look over at Psalm three, verses one through six. So David, David's over here saying, man, I've got to do this. I have got I cannot wait for this fight. Please let me do this. Let me fight. So finally, Saul consents and lets him go to the fight. But David, notice he's he's reminding himself. He's bringing up all of these past instances of God rescuing him. Did you notice that? That was the thing that David goes to when he's getting ready for battle. He goes back to what God's done before. He goes back to, well, God helped me beat a lion. God helped me beat a bear. Every every time that this happens, God helps me out. David starts bringing up the past victories. Are you are you getting that, that you should do this too? Is that starting to click that you should do this too? Well, I'm going to show you one example out of a thousand. I just, this is Psalm 3. I mean, this is this the first example that I came to. Read Psalms, you'll find so many more of these. Psalm 3. Here's an example of, of David. Psalm 3, verses 1 through 6. He says, Oh Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying, God will never rescue him. But you... Oh, Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. And so David, he starts kind of he starts praising a little bit. And then David goes into very familiar David thing. He starts bringing up past instances. He says, I cried out to the Lord and he answered me from his holy mountain. And so a lot of times you'll read above you the psalm in your Bible. It'll say this is a psalm of David from the time that he faced this battle. This is a psalm of David. And so I don't know which particular instance he's talking about right here. But he says, I remember when I cried out to the Lord and he answered me from his holy mountain. Then I remember I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety for the Lord was watching over me. 
And notice the attitude change after David starts remembering the past. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. He starts off saying, I'm surrounded everywhere. He builds himself up. And then all of a sudden, I'm not afraid of 10,000 armies that surround me on every side. There is something to this process. There is something to this strategy that made David an absolute champion and made him the favorite king of Israel, the favorite, most celebrated person of, of, of the Jewish people to this day. There's something about this key element of David's life where he would always start bringing up past victories. And so can I ask you, do you have past victories that God has brought you through? And if you say, I mean, I don't know. I don't know your story, but I can say, yeah, I have. I definitely have past victories where if I am in a fight, I can bring up things from the past that God brought me through. I have that. I can say, well, I remember the time that God did this. I remember the time God did this. And pretty soon I'm like, David, by the end, I'm like, man, I'm not afraid of 10,000 armies. I'm not, let's go do this. But you get yourself pumped up and built up. And that's what David did. And so you've got to remember all that God has brought you through. You know, I see some people that that God's brought them through mountains, man. God has helped them conquer mountains. And sometimes I, they're tripping over like a little anthill or something, a little molehill. Like, man, don't you remember? You're the same guy that God healed of this. You're the same guy that God delivered. You're the same person that God did. And you're going to trip over this little thing. You need to remind yourself of what God did for you last time. You need to remember. You've got short-term memory loss, brother. You've got, you need to remember what God did for you the last time. Don't you dare forget what God's brought you through. You need to be a thankful person. We talked about this at our men's meeting yesterday. You need to be a thankful person. David was thankful and that opened the door for God to continually move in his life because thankfulness creates an open door for God's blessings. Thankfulness creates an open door for God's blessings. When someone isn't thankful, it starts to close the door for God's blessings. Why am I going to keep doing something for you if you never even acknowledge me and never even thank me, never even try to, to give me anything? Why would I keep doing that, man? And so there's so many people. God God bails them out. And, and you know, I, I, this sounds mean, but I kind of put it this way, that some of God's children behave like spoiled brats. Can I get an Amen. Yeah, I know. Let's let's I'm not saying you. It's not you. But, you know, maybe someone, you know, that that, you know, God bails them out and they're like, oh, good. Made it through that. And then they don't they don't even talk to God again until they need bailed out again. That's wrong. That is not right. If the only time that God hears from you is when you've put yourself in a terrible spot and need bailed out. That is not right. There is something not okay with that picture. God should be hearing from us if we want to get real about it. God should hear from us every day of our lives. Let's be real. okay? there is not one day of our lives that a born again Christian should go through where they don't talk to God at all. Can you imagine? I mean, I mean, you got you talk to your husband and wife every day. You talk to your kids. You know, a lot of you people, you talk to your best friends every day. You text them, you call them, you get in contact. But but there are days that we don't talk to God. Something is not right with that picture. And then the only time he hears from us is, you got to get me out of this one. Please, please, get me out. Bail me out of this. Uh, if you bail me out, I promise I'll live for you forever. I promise I'll serve you. I'll, I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. If you just get me out of this one, just this one more time, please, please, please. And then he does it. And he doesn't hear from me again. We're not judging you or condemning you. We're trying to help you here. Like, man, God has a better plan for your life. He, he has better for, for you than to just live from miracle to miracle. God has better for you than to just get bailed out. And that's the only time that that you contact God. God has better for you than that. When we live our lives for him and we get up and and we're committed, we're courageous, we're loyal and faithful. You don't have to get bailed out of massive, monumental, huge, dire situations all the time. Yeah, we still face stuff. But I mean, you're not getting bailed out of the, the valley of death every week. You know what I mean? And so David understood this and David was committed. And and when we start to pump ourselves up, when we start to remember what God did, do you know what this leads to? Don't let this fly over here. I'm getting ready to say something really cool here. All right. 
When you, when you, when you start reminding yourself and testifying of the things of God to others and yourself, do you know what that starts to produce in your life? You start to get joy. Now, you'll start to feel it. You'll start to get joy in your life. And that, that is one of the greatest gifts that God gave us is the gift of joy, man. It's one of the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, and joy leads to peace. And if there's, I can do without a lot of things in this life. I can do without ever being a millionaire. I'm fine with that. I can deal without having the nicest car, the greatest house in Barstow. I'm fine. I don't need all that. That's fine. If, if God chooses to just dump that in, great, fine, whatever. But I will not live a life without joy and without peace and the love of God. I there, Because money can't buy those. If I wanted to, I could go earn a bunch of money and buy any of those things, but I could never earn enough money to buy peace. I could, there, there, money can't buy joy. Money can buy temporary happiness, because happiness and joy are not the same thing. They're different. Happiness is an emotion. You can be temporarily happy right now. You can walk out those doors and be sad and depressed and miserable and hopeless and, and everything else because happiness comes and it goes. But when you've got the joy of the Lord, it's in your heart and nobody can take joy away from you. And David understood this even under the old covenant. And so David would, even if he was feeling down, he'd start bringing up, well, this one time this happened. And I remember the time you did this. And I remember the time that you did this this for me. And David would start bringing up all these things. And then he would be so pumped up. He was ready to go face 10,000 armies. And if there's one thing, there's a lot of things, but I can tell you this. One of the things that the devil doesn't want you to have, he doesn't want you to have joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8:10. And the devil does not like a strong Christian. He likes a Christian that's that's weak and depressed and 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 full of doom and gloom and and doesn't know what to do. That's what he likes to see. But when you've got the joy of the Lord, you are strong and you're going to be like King David. You're going to turn into courage. You're going to be a courageous person and you're going to face dangers and disasters with firmness, as that definition said. And the devil does not want that to happen because you're going to go face a giant and you're going to kill him. You're going to embarrass the devil. You're going to make him look like a fool forever, even messing with you. He doesn't want that. So, yeah, it's pretty important to start bringing up the past things that God has brought you through because you're going to get so excited. You're going to get so full of joy that you're going to run out of these doors, man, looking for a fight spiritually, spiritually. We don't fight people. We don't fight people. We fight. We fight the devil. So David builds himself up and and he starts he starts getting this joy and he starts getting stronger and stronger. And when you got the joy of the Lord, the devil doesn't intimidate you like he used to. That's a word for someone right there. When you got the joy of the Lord, the devil doesn't intimidate you like he used to, because there's some people they're intimidated by the devil. They're intimidated. You know, that, that's awful that the, the, the sons and daughters of a king, of the king of all kings, can get intimidated and pushed around and bullied by the devil. Yet it happens. The devil comes and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, this and this. I'm going to steal your wife, your kids, your family, your job. I'm going to steal everything, man. And you're like, really? Oh, God, no, don't do that. Like, that's not how you talk to the devil. Man, we'll get to how David dealt with the enemy. But that's not how a son and a daughter of a king should live. They should say, no, you're not. Man, I'm going to do that to you. I'm going to kill you. You know, and, and, and so David, we'll see how David, man, this is kind of, you know, gets the testosterone. The story kind of just, you know. So it's like when I watch Rocky Four, I'm like ready to go out and find Ivan Drago myself. You know, any Rocky, Rocky fans? No? Okay. Thank you. All right. USA. So, uh, rock, you know, but this is what's one of those stories, man. And so David, he he would build himself up to the point of just being excited to go into battle. And that's what God wants for us. And why do why would I think that? Because he said, this is David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And so I'm going to look at David's life and all of the good aspects I'm going to copy those things, man. I want to be like David. I want to be like this guy. And so when you've got joy, you are strong and the devil does not want to fight a strong Christian. He'd rather mess with all, you know, he'd rather take on the little weak ones. All right. And so 
the third thing we're going to say is this, is that why was David so courageous? Well, number one, he had a cause. Number two, he remembered the things that God had already brought him through. And number three, he trusted God. And I don't say that in a generic sense. He trusted God. You know, hey, you get to only believe, brothers. We get that. And, and I, I say this all the time, but I, I want to drive this point home. I'll probably do this every message forever. But when you hear almost a cliche phrase like that, well, he trusted God. So many of us, we've been in church so long, we just it flies over our head. Like, yeah, he trusted God. OK, that's not a very deep point. But when you really get that, like, no, David didn't just mentally trust God. David, with all of his heart, trusted God. David trusted God. He really, really believed God. It wasn't one of those things where, well, I know God can do anything, but this is a giant. So what are we going to do now? I know God can do anything, but that's a bear over there. And bears are really mean. I know God can do anything, but I'm passing through the valley right now, man. I'm in the valley. We'll get out to the mountain someday. I'm right in the valley. Shut up. Don't be like that. Be like, listen, don't be like that. You've got to really, really believe and trust God, not just mentally acknowledge that God could possibly do it. You've got to know in your heart that God is going to do it. That's the difference between hope and faith. Hope says, yeah, I believe God can do that. That's possible. Faith says, God is going to get me out of this one. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I'll fear no evil. If you're with me, your rod and your staff come for me, man. I'm not afraid of this. That's faith. Hope is great and we need hope and it endures forever, the Bible says. But faith is what gets you out of the situation. Faith answers prayers. And so you got to have both, man. But right here, here we are. You've got to truly believe and trust God, not just acknowledge it with your mind that God could. Yeah, God can do anything. All things are possible. Yeah. But you've got to really get a hold of it in your heart. Are you understanding that? And so David trusted God. First Samuel 17. First Samuel 17 verses 41 to 47. So let's see what's finally happening now. So David, you, you know the story. Saul says, all right, you can go fight him, but first put on my body, my body armor. David was a little guy. Saul was a really, really big guy. And so David puts on Saul's body armor and he's, falls over and and he said, I can't do this. I, I got to fight how I'm comfortable fighting. Let me get a few rocks. And they're like, what? You're rocks? Serious, man? And so David's like, yeah. And so, you know, David goes and picks out five smooth stones out of the creek, out of the creek. We call it in Indiana. Go around and get a few stones out of the creek. And so here, I mean, he's it's looking honestly, this is looking worse by the second. This is looking like a complete disaster. Everyone's like, oh, God, this is going to be ugly. (laughs) Don't look, guys. We're getting ready to see a slaughter. And everybody, nobody is on his side. Not one person (laughs) believes he can do it. Not one. And yeah, he's like, no, I'm going to do that. You go with me or not. I'm going to go fight this guy and I'm going to kill him. And so here we are. First Samuel 17 verses 41 through 47. So here we are. David's got his stones. He's got his little sling there and he's got a little bag. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy faced boy. My dog, he roared at David, coming with a stick. So David's walking out with his stick and his rocks and his sling. You think I'm a dog? You can beat me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, that just ticked him off even more. (laughs) That that made David. I can just see David there like, no, just just clenching his fist. Oh, man. As soon as you shut up. Oh, he's getting excited. I'm going to. I'm going to get this. And so Goliath is not only making fun of the God of Israel. Now he's using the names of his own gods to defy David and the people and the God of Israel. He is crossing so many lines here that it is. I mean, David is getting to the boiling point right now. And it's not just because you understand it's righteously angry. He's mad because he's mad for the right cause. He had a cause. He wasn't just losing his temper and his emotion. He was angry because he had a cause. 
just like he told his brother, there's a cause. Is there not a cause? You're going to just let this happen. And so Goliath, he starts cursing him out, making fun of him and, and cursing him by the names of his gods. Goliath says, come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. Goliath yelled. And so here's what separates the men from the boys. Here's what separates the courageous from the weak and the cowardly. Somebody could have looked at this and been in this situation and all of a sudden, you know what? I changed my mind. Can somebody else go fight him? I don't think he's, he's really bad. I can't do this because Goliath is sitting there yelling and all this stuff. David, when the giant was in his face yelling at him, he could have backed out. He could have ran away. He could have been intimidated. He could have done all kinds of things right here. But what did David do? This is one of my favorite parts of this whole story. And so the Philistine is yelling at him and, and all this stuff. But look at this. Verse 45. David replied to the Philistine. Huh, you come to me with sword, a spear and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He's like, you're making fun of me for carrying a stick. You're carrying a sword and a spear. But I've got the name of God. I feel bad for you. He says, today the Lord will conquer you and I'm going to kill you and cut off your head. And then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Woo! That is good stuff right there, man. And so David, he what does he do? He fights fire with fire. Man, you want to talk to me? I'm going to talk to you. He's like, you have crossed a line here, man. You've defied the God of Israel. You've got a sword and a, and a whole army. I don't care. I've got the name of the God of Israel whom you've defied. I'm going to kill you, man. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to. I'll watch how vulgar. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut off your head and I'm going to kill all your men and I'm going to feed their carcasses to the wild animals. Man, man, does that just do something for you right there? We've got our Marines and our soldiers. Yeah, that should make you excited, dude. And so David, he he is pumped up and he's he is he's not backing down. He is speaking to the enemy. And there are times that the devil will start Huffing and puffing and roaring at you. And what you've got to do is answer right back immediately. No, you've defied the living God in the name of Jesus. I resist you. You've got to flee in the name of Jesus. I can do all things. And you just man, you start answering back. I don't let the devil talk to me and have the last word. Are you kidding? No, I answer with the word of God. And you think, well, the devil talks to you. Sure, he does. He talked to Jesus. He talked to Jesus, right? Look at that. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. He came. If Jesus is not above temptation, if Jesus is not above the devil trying to come and talk to him, you think you're above it. You're not. He'll come and try to plant lies and fear and doubt into your mind. The only difference is Jesus didn't listen. He said, no, man, it's written. A man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus always talked back and he always answered with the word of God. And so this giant is yelling and screaming and and cursing and threatening. And David isn't even the least bit intimidated. He's standing his ground saying, yeah, well, listen to this. And he gives it right back at him. That there's something powerful about that right there. And so one thing that I one of my favorite pastors, Bill Winston, said this. He said, start announcing the outcome in the middle of your battle. That's what David did. David didn't wait till it was over and say, we're we won. We're going to win. David, before any fighting had even occurred, David started announcing the outcome before the battle was over. If you understand that, that is powerful. You could be right in the middle of the fight right now. You say, yeah, well, guess what? I win. I, I, I win. You're, I, and not only that, I conquer. I'm more than a conqueror. You're announcing the outcome before the end of the battle. If you have to wait until it's all over before you can praise God, before you can speak the word of God, listen, you're not going to get there, man. You got to get some guts. You got to get some courage where even in the fiercest part of the storm and the battle, you can stand up and speak the word of God. You have got to get that. And you got to start. So I am winning this fight. 
I am winning this fight. I'm going to kill this thing. I'm going to cut its head off so it never resurrects and comes back. I am beating this giant. Let's say that together. I am beating this giant. You've got to start telling yourself that in your life. And David starts saying it before a single rock had been thrown, before a single punch had been thrown, anything. David started saying, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut your head off. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. If nobody else goes with me, I'll do it all by myself. I am going to win this thing. And he was so confident and he knew that God was on his side. And so I want to say this, that David didn't see Goliath as a huge problem. David saw Goliath as a huge opportunity. Think about that. Everybody else saw a huge, disastrous nightmare of a problem. David saw, yeah, man, oh, this is a giant. This is a giant. This is exciting. When I beat this guy, do you realize how much glory God's going to get out of this? When I beat a giant, everybody's going to know about this. Everybody is going to hear that Israel defeated a giant. This is the most exciting thing I've ever had. This is the best opportunity that I've ever been presented with. So do you see the giants in your life? How do you view them? Do you see this is going to be the downfall of me? This is going to be the one thing that finally takes me down and just holds me under. This is going to be the one to drown me. Or I, I mean, I guess with God, all things are possible. I just don't know this time, man. I, I really don't know right now if it's going to happen. Or do you see it as... Man, I've never faced anything this big. I'm going to kill this thing, cut its head off, and then all of Barstow will know that there is a God in my life, that God really is real. This is the biggest opportunity I have ever been presented with. How do you view the giants in your life? Is it the downfall of you or is it the greatest opportunity that you have for a huge testimony to give God glory. And so here's what David was looking at. And so I think I cut you off here, but uh, verse 47, verse 47 of chapter 17 here. And so David's he's not done with his with his with his deal here. He says, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. But he doesn't use a sword and a spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. So is what you're facing, is it your battle or are you going to let it be the Lord's battle? Is the battle the Lord's or is the battle yours? Like, no, this is no, this is my battle. I mean, you know, you, you can't face the giant in your own name and say, you know, the battle is Henry's. <laughs> you know, good guy. But no, I would I'm not going to use his name to cure a disease. You know, the battle is Josh's. The battle is the battle is Austin's. That's nice, but I mean, I don't want to say that. I want to face the giant and say, the battle is the Lord's. I'm coming at you in the name of Jesus. And that's a whole other thing right there that David got. He said, the battle is the Lord's. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to beat you today. This is your last day on this planet. You're getting ready to die, man. And David, he got so real with it. And David trusted God. And so, you know, you got to have the belief in, in your heart, not in your mind. I want to quote a quick verse, Mark eleven twenty three. Hold your spot, hold your spot. But Mark eleven twenty three, and you, oh my gosh, you have got to know Mark eleven twenty three. This is, I mean, mandatory if you're going to be anything in your life. If you're going to ever win a victory, you need to know Mark eleven twenty three. This is absolutely one of the most key, powerful verses that I know of. Mark eleven twenty three. I love it in the King James. Love it, love it, love it. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. Did he say, but shall think that those things? No, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And so this verse lines up exactly with what David was doing. He was facing a mountain. He was facing a giant. But it says he believed in his heart. And not only that, he spoke the words out of his mouth. He spoke the words out of his mouth. And I, I, I don't want to get too far here, but, but let me just tell you this. Please, please, please get this. How did you become born again? You believed in your heart and you spoke 
out of your mouth, right? Romans 10, 9 and 10. This isn't, this isn't deep. Romans 10, 9 and 10. You believed in your heart. You spoke out of your mouth. That is the example of how you'll receive every victory for the rest of your Christian life. You'll believe it in your heart and then you'll speak it out of your mouth. And yes, we could add so many more elements. Well, you got to memorize these verses. You got to pray. That's yes. Yeah. Great. But listen to me. The most basic thing of Christianity you were born again. You became a Christian by believing in the heart and speaking with the mouth. And that's how God's going to bring you through every other battle the rest of your life. David did it. He believed it in his heart. And then he spoke it out of his mouth. I'm going to beat you today. He spoke it out. And so in your life, start believing it in your heart and start speaking some words of victory out of your mouth. Start speaking it. Start speaking scriptures more than anything. But believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth and watch what God does in your life. And so it says right here that if you do that, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Whatsoever? Does whatsoever actually mean whatsoever? I I think whatsoever means whatsoever. And I think whosoever means whosoever. I mean, this is this is huge. Whosoever, because I read some some people read that. Well, that's that's good. That's a great verse. But he was talking to the 12 disciples right there. Oh, God, are you that ignorant of the Bible that you think that Mark 11, 23 only applied to the 12 disciples? Then what was the point of putting it in there? And I say this all the time. But in John, John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever Believe in him, shall not perish, but I've ever lost life. Why does whosoever in John 3, 16 include anybody, but it doesn't in Mark 11, 23? Why? Why? I could say, well, John 3, 16 is just talking to Nicodemus. I know he said whosoever. That was just old Nick over there. That only meant him. No. Whosoever in Mark 11, 23 is just as real as it is in John 3, 16. If you could get saved in John 3, 16 by believing and confessing Jesus, listen. The same thing will work out of Mark eleven twenty three. I will just do that again. That's good stuff. That is a good. That is good news for us because we qualify. Because no matter who you are, you fall under the category of whosoever. You know, we break people down into all these labels and categories. No matter who you are, you do qualify to be whosoever. You are that. And so, Mark eleven twenty three, it can and will work for you if you believe in your heart. Man, all right, let's finish up the story of King David here. All right, First Samuel 17, let's finish this up. Who wants to see how the story ends? Are you sitting on the edge of your seat? You never heard this one before? This is, this is news to you? One time at a, I was at a, a youth convention with some teenage, teenage boys, and I read them the story of Gideon out of the book of Judges, and they never heard that before. They were like sitting on the edge of the bed like, oh my gosh, this is, the, oh, this is so cool. Oh, And they're like, man, that sounds like the movie 3000 or whatever that movie was. Like, this is good. And I'm like, yeah, man, the Bible is full of this stuff. You just got to open it up, dude, and read it. It's good stuff. And so David, he's, he's done talking now. Now is the time to take action and finish what he started. First Samuel 17, look at verse 48. And so David, he's done with words. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. David didn't tiptoe. David didn't commando crawl. David ran to meet the giant. And it says this, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and he hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in. Goliath stumbled a few steps there and then he fell face down on the ground. Can you imagine the terror of the thousands of soldiers standing behind him. Can you imagine the, Phil, the the Israelites that had their backs turned? Can you imagine everybody when it actually worked? And I got to tell you, that's about the best feeling in the world. When you, you stepped out and you believed God when they said you were a fool and then it actually worked and you're like, ha, where are you at now? You know, that I, you know, there's just a little bit of me that's like, oh, I bet you, you wish you would have believed now. Huh? And so Goliath falls face down. Everybody is just standing there like. Oh, dang. <laughs> oh, no, he's mad. And you know, so they're, they're all terrified. And so look what happens after this. Goliath falls. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling 
and a stone because he didn't have a sword. And then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from the sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. That's poetic justice, baby. He pulled his own sword out and cut that guy's head off. It's a little graphic. We got children here, but sorry, parents. But David did it. And boom, it was over. You read the rest of the chapter. The rest of the of the Philistine army, they, it says when I like the king, it says when they saw that their champion was dead, they fled and they they all turned around. The whole Philistine army goes running through the hills. And, and all of a sudden, all of Israel was like full of courage and, and uh, yeah, we can do it. And so they chase them down. They capture them and win the victory. But how did it all happen? Because David was courageous because he knew he was fighting for a cause. He didn't just like to fight and get into it. David had a cause. And then he remembered all the things that God had brought him through in the past. You get that today. And then number three, he trusted God. Even if nobody else did, even when nobody else was doing it, David trusted and believed God. And to this day, most of the world knows the story of David and Goliath because David said all the world is going to know there is a God in Israel. And I'm telling you, if you want a David type of testimony, if you want to do anything with your life, you're going to face some giants and it's going to take some courage and some guts and some commitment, just like David had. And you can do all of these things that David did. Why? Because God has no favorites. God is no respecter of persons. If his word and his principles will work for one person, then they have to work for everybody because God is a God of justice. It wouldn't be fair if he'd only let it, his word work for David or for me, or for, for her and him, but not you. That wouldn't be fair. God would not be just. God is just. The same principles, the same word of God that works for any preacher, any person you know, it'll work in your life if you'll do the same thing. David was full of courage, and God wants you to face some giants and beat them in your life. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and end there today. Right there. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.